Ah, the much-anticipated limited upside Washington Wizards summer preview is upon us. We had a great show today. It was a lot of fun to have the Bullets Forever, the site that Mike started way back when. Mike himself being a diehard Wizards fan, we finally got to talk about the Wizards. We got a lot of good predictions. We get to talk about the Beal Wall stuff. They have a new coach, Scotty Brooks, who I'm a big fan of. Um, but it was a lot of good, uh, a lot of good Wizards talk. We do a lot of Wizards talk on this podcast, but this was a, a good look into the future. We'll talk about the pieces around the team. But before you get to the podcast. Before you listen to it, please do one thing. Go subscribe, go download, all those good things. And if you can, write a review. Um, you can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find it on SBNation.com eventually uh, when it goes up on the site. It's going to go up most likely right into your download box first once you subscribe to it. Ah, But you can write us questions too because we get to those every single podcast. You can go to Mike Prada at sbnation.com. That's when you can shoot Mike an email. You can also find us at limited underscore upside on Twitter. You can uh, shoot us questions. We appreciate those. We get to those. You'll see on every single one of these podcasts, those questions get answered. So enjoy this awesome podcast that we have. We had two very, very good guests today. We had Lindy Wood and Mike Sykes, who are two of our Bullets Forever uh, writers and two people who are very knowledgeable on the team with interesting views that aren't just like Pratis. So we got a lot of good perspectives on the Wizards. Very fun show. Very good minds to be picking as someone who is just trying to learn about where this Wizards team is going. Enjoy the show, the Limited Upside Podcast. Shut up and sit down. All right, so the Washington Wizards, it's finally here, uh, and not a great year last year. A lot of hype after they had made the conference semifinals the year before, an injury away probably from the conference finals. This was supposed to be a year they would take the next step, announce themselves as a big energy destination just in time for a local son to come home. Instead, they missed the playoffs. <laughs> And instead, they missed a local son, didn't even get a meeting, missed their second target, and now here we are. So what went wrong? What was the primary thing that went wrong? Let's put it that way. So this is, I guess, maybe in some ways a little bit of a hindsight is 2020 thing, but it's really hard to totally overhaul your style of play and still be good. Uh, So last year, the Wizards, you know, who over the last few years have kind of been a, you know, traditionally more of a defensive team. They've had kind of like a mediocre offense, but a a pretty good defense that sort of grounded them and made them an okay team. And they decided they were going to be this sort of offensively minded pace and space team. Um, And they didn't change the coach. They didn't change the the personnel on the team all that much. And it didn't work. The defense fell off a cliff. Um, The offense never really clicked. And so they were just bad at everything. So it's, that sounds like a Mike Prada answer to me. Uh, uh, Michael, added even- everything. Man, they were a 500 team, but I know what you're <laughs> saying. I know what you're saying. that This was supposed to be exciting, though. Like, this was what we all wanted. The clogged toilet offense of the previous year that sort of was frustrating all of us opened up in the 2015 playoffs, and they played small. They had Otto Porter at the four, or Paul Pierce at the four, whichever one you want to choose. And now they're going to do that full-time, and they actually made some summer additions to facilitate that. And it didn't work. So, Mike, why didn't it work? Well, I think 
first of all, I think they kind of got a bit carried away with their success from their playoff stand. I thought that they played um, – I don't know. They just had really good matchups with the teams that they played in the playoffs, and I thought that they figured that would carry over. But I don't know. They, switching switching the systems the way that they did it kind of abruptly um, because, I mean, think about that offseason. There was no real – indication that they would be doing that i mean there, there was speculation but there wasn't anything official mm-hmm. that they would be changing up offensive and defensive systems going into the season and and w- when they hit training camp it was just like okay we're here and we're going to do this now and and this is how it's going to go we're going to shoot threes from these certain spots on the floor and all this is going to work so i i, I don't know i i just feel like you know, they didn't make the appropriate changes as far as the coaching staff goes and as far as uh, player personnel goes. I thought that, um, you know, they did make some some good moves as far as um, personnel goes, but I don't think that they were the right moves for what they wanted to do. And do you think, that, that's what kind of blew up. Do you think there was maybe some fatigue? I mean, Prada, I think this was one of the biggest issues, in my opinion, was that there was some fool's gold in the playoff run, as I think Michael just, just talked about there. and And then that led to what was potentially already a sour situation that needed to be ended, getting extended one more regular season slog, which is just a different mentality, a different preparation. There's a different professionalism to how the playoffs are operated as compared to the regular season. Uh, And there was just not, there was a little bit too much of that. um, We just don't want to be there with Randy for 82 more games feeling. Um, And I feel like that, that that was really, well, not just that it played out, but that was evident early on. And so that sort of fool's gold, if you will, like to say that, hate to use that term again, but um, was pretty evident from the get-go. Is that, that sort of, and then it was just a self-fulfilling prophecy and injuries and so forth the rest of the season? Well, they, they definitely emphasized the pace, I think, a lot, and maybe not as much the space. And yeah. that may have been the tactically kind of in-practice problem that happened, which is, you know, Mike hinted at this, but Randy Whitman is not the kind of coach that has ever done something like this, played this way. And I think sometimes what the way you change it is sort of you have to have the right coach that implements the right message the right way. And I think part of it was they're just running so fast off makes, off everything. And I think they did get tired out, especially on the defensive end of the floor. If they had instead focus, uh, focusing on like, oh, we got to get the ball up within – three seconds off a of made basket, they just said, you know what, we got to get into our offense sooner so we can run more intricate stuff, it might have had a better chance. Um, but I have another theory that I want to pose to you all about what went wrong, and that is I don't think John Wall was all the way in great shape to start the year, and I think that set a not-so-great tone for the rest of the season. Agree or disagree? I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I, I believe early on in the season – um, he kind of hinted at that in, in December after he had the uh, the terrible November. You know, there was a lot of talk about how he he hurt his ankle in um, I think it was against the Spurs where he hurt his ankle apparently, and and he just wasn't in shape to play. And I think that that kind of goes into what I was saying before, where it seemed like they just kind of threw this whole idea to, together that they were going to play with pace and space and. They just went into training camp with it and, and didn't prepare for it at all, um, you know, and throughout off the offseason uh, training programs and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, that that, that definitely had a lot to do with it. Um, if they were in shape, I'm not sure 
how much better they would have been as a team because like I said I don't I don't think that the personnel that they had was conducive to the way that they wanted to play but I mean you have to be in shape to play so <laughs> yeah I mean I, I agree with you but I, I think that maybe the breakneck speed was going to be a problem anyway you know you kind of alluded to this earlier where there was this big emphasis on pace but I don't think Pace is what gave them that playoff success the year before. I think it was the spacing. It was having the shooting at the four, not necessarily, you know, running through everything at breakneck speed. And so I don't know that that did them any favors. And yeah, probably while being out of shape. And I think I think he owned that. I don't think he just kind of hinted at it. I think he kind of came out and owned it and said he was in bad shape at the start of the season. And that didn't help matters either. It's a really good point. I think the pace, much more than the space, was the problem. Now, I wonder if... Like Mike said, I, I wonder if this would have been a problem anyway because they just had a big gaping hole at the four spot coming to the year. Chris Humphreys, not a stretch four. We figured that out right away. Jared Dudley played very well, but limited player. And I think that started to show in the second half of the year. And so after that, they also, I thought, fairly shallow. Alan Anderson was injured. They had really no help down low other than Gortat they were very thin and then when Beal got injured I think that really derailed some of his positive momentum so that's what what went wrong last year and then that sort of spilled over into not even getting a meeting with Kevin Durant who I think they they had sort of planned this summer to kind of be this he was the guy then they come really close to Al Horford they miss on him and so they miss out on all these targets so all this money they've kind of saved to spend on this one summer before Bradley Beal's next contract kicks in ends up getting them a bunch of reserves. So how how big a disaster how how bad is that? Is that such a a bad thing when you put it that way or did they recover well or is the answer both? Yes. I mean, I think that <laughs> The problem looking at it is that it was all about one summer. I mean, you look at other teams like the Rockets immediately come to mind. Yes, they didn't have a great year last year, but they sort of always have these moving parts and they're sort of always in the conversation for big free agents. And I think that's the way you have to be because you can't rely on one player in one summer or even a couple players, you know, in one summer choosing your team. You have to have those meetings everywhere to get lucky one year. Um, and so I think that that's a strategy that, you know, we can really fault them for is that they have sat out free agency for the last few years. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you, you should never, and this is like a normal life lesson, right? You should never put your eggs in one basket or whatever. That's like one of those <laughs> life cliches. And, and they did exactly that. And it was never really a smart thing to do because, I mean, Durant gave all of these passive aggressive hints that he was never really coming to Washington and, you know, you, there were the people who were saying that, you know, he doesn't want to play at home, blah, blah, blah. So at, at that point, you know, you would think that they would move on to something else. And it just, I don't think they did at this point. And I don't know, I, I guess I would consider this offseason um, sort of, kind of, sort of a disaster. I think they <laughs> did the best they could do after being rejected by um, their top two targets. But, you know, when you have to go to plan F from plan A and B, I, I don't think I can call that a success. So, so they added some parts, right? We were going to talk about the whole roster complexion, that whole like, um, I think Lindy said it well, when you have a, a couple pieces that you can keep in place and pivot other spots around there to have financial flexibility, but also roster flexibility, and one of the problems is is they know what their backcourt is, and that's usually not a problem. It's, it's a solution in their case. It's their their two best players. But finding the right mix after that has been has been an issue. Gortat's played um, 
Gortat and obviously Nene were the, the foundation there. They added a different piece. Nene is gone, and it's now uh, Mihimi, who is a springy player. He brings a defensive intensity to it. They added Nicholson and a player who was made fun of last podcast, our Utah Jazz podcast, a few times, uh, Trey Burke, um, who uh, was not thought of that highly by by his former uh, team, the Jazz. Or they, at least- also, they also brought in Thomas Santoransky, their 2012 sec- uh, second-round pick. They have high hopes for him. I love that you when- had to say the name. I would have... Screwed that up. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not that hard to say. Yeah, Santoransky. <laughs> yeah, that, that works. Santoransky. It's not that difficult. What's, what, t- tell us about his game for a sec. Uh, he is a point guard from uh, the Czech Republic. Good buddies with Jan Vesely. Has played at some top Spanish teams. Had played very well for the Czech Republic in the Eurobasket last year. I think they look at him, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, as not necessarily just a backup one, but he can also play the wing a little bit. They look at that combination of Burke and Sadoransky should be much more fruitful for them than Sessions last year, who actually I thought had a good year, but I think it's probably the right bet. So, you know, we'll see. But so the, those are their Does this additions. Make the team better? Do these additions make the team better? It feels like they have a lot of – they took a, a few pieces from other teams who were not – uh, that good, uh, or at least had not been in the playoffs. It wasn't like they added like experience here, and there's also some question marks for sure just about what type of NBA player even Trey Burke is. Um, I think Nicholson's actually a pretty decent player. But, Mike, why don't you tell me where you think the the, the team kind of comes together around these new pieces, gelling with what we already know is a foundation? Um, I'm still not sure at this point. <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of players that they got who are really unproven. I mean, by all accounts, mo- most people don't think Trey Burke is that good, right? I don't think he's very good at all. <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, he's still a young player and he still has room to grow, but he's shown us nothing to this point. Andrew Nicholson is okay. Um, Sadoransky is a totally unproven European player coming over, mm-hmm. who and he's going to be playing a, a key role in their um, in their second unit. So, and he he may even get thrown in with the first unit from time to time. So. I mean, they're leaning on a lot of guys who are unproven here. I, I think um, the Mahimi signing, I, I really I really did like that one um, simply because of his defensive ability. I, I think yeah. he may put them over the top as far as a, um, a defensive team goes this, this season. But mm-hmm. outside of that, I'm really not sure if any of these guys are improvements over what they had last season. So the jury's still out for me. The, the one addition that is not technically an addition that I think the team would say, well, don't forget about him, is Markeith Morris. They right. got at the trade deadline and I think really did stabilize the four spot. I and mean, they finished pretty strong, even though I thought they had an easy schedule. So you know, cannot forget about him either. And this is a, a starting lineup that net rating-wise was very good, uh, whether it was Dudley or Morris, when you mm-hmm. had – the Beal, Wall, Porter, Gortat, and whoever at the four spot that wasn't uh, Chris Humphreys or Nene or whoever, it's a pretty good team. And the the bench now hopefully is upgraded. So, I mean, what do we think of Markeith Morris this year? I mean, what is he going to provide that uh, he can carry over from last year? Let me pose this as a, a larger question. Uh, I'll throw this over to Lindy. What what? Markeith Morris, the addition, the pieces we just talked about, all that on the table. Where does Scotty Brooks come into play here with kind of how his touch, uh, you know, is 
is implemented on the team, but also the culture and sort of flipping this into like, yeah, we are a playoff team again, back in that 45, 46 win range, whatever it might be, um, away from the low 40s. Um, they were gradually gaining. They went from like 44 to 46 wins or something like that, Mike, and then they came back down. But but where does Scotty Brooks's touch uh, really land on this team? Yeah, so I actually kind of, the more time goes on, the more I like that hiring. You know, at the time I was hoping that maybe they would get someone who wasn't a retread, someone who was kind of new new and unproven, but, you know, maybe mm-hmm. had some, some interesting upside. Um, but I do actually think, especially with all of the sort of like locker room problems that we heard about after the fact, after Randy Whitman got fired, I think that Scott Brooks is the perfect guy to come in and plug those holes, um, you know, with this sort of like tension and drama or whatever between mm-hmm. Wall and Deal. I think Brooks is a great guy to manage that. Um, and, you know, hopefully he's someone who can, you know, get something useful out of the slightly younger guys like Trey Burke or Andrew Nicholson who haven't quite proven anything yet. So I, I think that he's a, a good, solid choice. Um, I expect them to be a good defensive team again. The offense will probably not, you know, blow anyone away. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think that ultimately he's, he's not a bad choice for this team. And I do think he'll make them better. I like Scotty Brooks as a person. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Mike. You like Scotty Brooks? As a person, yeah. I mean, when I, when I met him and, and, and I had to tell him that I... I was his biggest fan when I was six years old. And then I think he understood that he was, he met the Sixers. I told him, you know, I was from Philadelphia and that was like the worst basketball. They were the worst team. Scott Roland, Roland was there, you know, power forward, Mike Chaminsky, one of the worst teams of all time. Sharon Wright. He, uh, that came out a few years later. Oh, that's okay, how that's awesome. Right. I forget the, the wrong crappy Sixers team. You don't want to know <laughs> no one on that roster aside from like, I don't know, Daryl Dawkins and Hersey Hawkins was worth their weight. Um, but nonetheless, um, he was a nice guy, so I liked his char- uh, the character. He's the guy who gave Livingston his first shot back in the league on a 10-day contract. Like, I think he does have the, uh, the right player appeal from a person-to-person standpoint. Well, they're hoping he does because if you think about him stylistically, there isn't a ton that separates him from the way Randy Whitman likes to play at least. You know, they, I don't think – like pace and space is out now, and that's probably a good thing. It's going to be more sensible, uh, but – it definitely feels like a return to the defensive first rebound and run style that they had uh, in the last years before Whitman. And so the difference has to be that he has to get along with his players. And that leads us to the next big offseason drama point, which we recorded a whole podcast on, and which Scott Brooks is already at work trying to help I don't even want to say fixed because he didn't even put it that way. But this is sort of why you hire strengthen, strengthen Mike, strengthen, uh, <laughs> which is the the stuff with John Wall and Bradley Beal. Uh, we had a whole podcast about it, so obviously I thought it was noteworthy. Uh, do you guys think it is noteworthy? I definitely think it is noteworthy. Um, they have to be able to play together, right, for for this team to be good and for Wall to come out and say they don't get along even if it's just on the court which is really the most important part of their relationship i, I think that's that's <laughs> really noteworthy. like the basketball right. Right. The other relationship doesn't matter at all if you're going right. to talk about what they're being paid to do as a profession right <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean it it it, it has to be addressed and mm-hmm. and brooks is the guy who needs to address it i think i'm not sure how they solve this problem. Um, because like Mike just said, you know, there, there's not much difference between what Scott Brooks and, and Randy Whitman do as far as X and O's go, but um, you know, they, they'll they have to figure something out. Do you think it's a double alpha situation? Yeah, but I'm not sure. I, that's what Bradley Beal says. Yeah, I mean, that's his take. So, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm curious. And, and Lindy, please feel free to chime in here too. 
is that actually what it is or is that just Bradley Beal's, uh, I don't know, kind of skewed perception? I mean, it could be what it is, you know, but I, I think that there are plenty of, you know, double alpha duos in the NBA that managed to make it work. Um, mm-hmm. So in some ways, I think that's a little bit of a cop out. You know, it it doesn't Agreed. surprise me that there's tension between them. I feel like that's pretty obvious if you watch them play together, that they're not quite always on the same page. It was a little surprising to hear John Wall come out and say it because he's very guarded usually in interviews. He's, you know, someone who kind of always says the right thing, even when sure. the right thing isn't very interesting or, you know, we all kind of know it might not be true. So it was interesting to see him be sort of that blunt about it. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's it's a problem. It's something they need to work on. I think if Beal can stay healthy, that might actually go a really long way because yeah. they've spent a lot of time not playing together over the last few years, especially because when Beal's kind of been coming back from injuries, Randy Whitman really liked to play him with the bench units. And so they just haven't had as much court time together as maybe they should. Yeah, it feels like there's always somebody missing, and, and that chemistry never really gets established over like a nice twenty game span. Um, I don't know, I, I, Prada, I want to get your opinion here because we had talked about this when it happened, and there was an emotional component to it. The story had broken, and you were trying to kind of get your, uh, I don't know, your your wits about it. Now, where yeah, do you land? Where like, do you yeah, land? That's like a good a couple, one. The, where Randy, do you, my, my Randy wits about it? <laughs> your Randy witsman about it. Uh, what? Uh, where do you land now? As you've kind of separated some time from that. I think that Mike and Lindy make good points. To me, this says a lot about where both players see themselves and how pivotal this year is for both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, this is an incredibly big year for John Wall, just in terms of I think last year missing the playoffs, and I do think his game slipped a little bit, although his numbers were still very strong, especially defensively. He needs to. This is a big year to reestablish himself in the hierarchy of superstars in this league. And it's also off the heels of some of the stuff going on with the shoe deal collapsing. He probably feels like he needs he's a little forgotten. And I can understand where he comes from. That actually leads to a good question we got on Twitter uh, from Asafo Paul, um, if I'm mispronouncing it, which is basically eventually kind of hitting at this sort of thing. I feel like Wall is better than, than, he says Kyrie Irving, but you could sub any point guard in there. But Kyrie gets more national love. He's got the hardware. And the question is sort of what does Wall have to do to kind of get back to that level? And I think that's what Wall himself was wondering about. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he responds to that, given his knee trouble, which could leave him out to the beginning of the year. And to me... That and Beal also with living up to his contract, they're sort of, I'm probably projecting a little bit here. It feels like there's some level of anxiety on both of their parts about how big this year is for them to establish themselves. Wall to reestablish himself as a top 15 player and Beal to establish himself as the all-star that we all think he could be, but he never has been. And so... Some of that, I think, is reflected in sort of what they're saying about each other. It's more interesting to think about where they stand separately than they do together to me. Wait, wait, go, go to his knee real quick again. What is the full or the situation at this moment with his knee? He has he's had surgeries on both knees. I don't remember right. the exact surgeries. He is taking it's like kind of being very careful. He kind of played through injuries a lot last right, year. Right, right. And there's now I mean you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but there there's talk that he may be limited in training camp to start the year, yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> that's a bummer. Um but a slow roll into the season, assuming they can uh, keep themselves going is fine. Uh, I wanted to get back to the uh Kyrie Irving comment though. I, I don't 
I don't think he is as, as good as Kyrie Irving, and but they're not both point guards, in my opinion. I think that's a difficult one to, to discern. Kyrie Irving is a two-guard. He's the best scoring guards in the NBA, right? We can all kind of agree on his position. What he plays is score the ball. And, and, and Wall is a elite passer, one of the best distributors. It feels like, from, from a million miles away, as, as not someone who is a Wizards um, 82 uh, games a year spectator, but more like five or six, that that combination should make sense to have someone who can space the court with someone who's great exploring the space and finding guys, especially the, the dish and kick, which is one of his specialties. Why, I mean, Lindy, why doesn't that actually play itself out within the scheme of the offense, what would you like to see them do to actually be able to create that synergy if you were, per se, calling the X's and O's for a bit? I mean, they've done a really bad job just putting shooters around him. They've tried a little bit. You know, last year they brought in Dudley and Anderson, and Dudley mm-hmm. did work out really well and played really well with Wall. Alan Anderson barely played at all. Um, but I think that's the problem is a lot of the time, you know, he's dishing to, like, Garrett Temple, who is a fantastic <laughs> player to have on the team in so many ways. But for most of his career, not such a good three-point shooter. Um, so I think that's been a lot of it. And as far as like the national recognition goes, I mean, some of it comes down to team success. I think some of it is also sure. just people like players that score a lot of points. And that's yeah. you know, that's fine. That's a perfectly valid preference to have. John Wall can score some points, but he's more of a distributor, as he said, and also more of a defensive player, except for maybe last year. Um, so that's not going to quite get people as excited as much, I think. And so that's probably part of why his sort of personal brand hasn't taken off as much. Yeah, I feel the same way. I also feel like there's this willingness to kind of joke around and put yourself out there. You mentioned it earlier. I think he is a more closed off individual, right? I mean, that's well, sort of... I think when you anybody who talks to Wall he says he keeps it very real. Uh, sure, that's good. I, show I, that. I think it's great. Um, Sell that. Maybe, yeah. maybe some of that is, has a comes back to hurt him i'm not really sure yeah yeah i mean like he shouldn't see the last thing about that would be that um hopefully he is not looking uh at the dollars anymore because he will not uh um, he makes like you know almost as much as he does and i think that hopefully doesn't ever get to his head again and i know that that it was speculation that was playing on his mind at one point and i hope that never actually bubbles over in any actual uh frustration that he wastes time on um this season because it's weird being the best player and the one who takes the most grief when you're i'd imagine the one who's um imagine this obviously i'm, I'm speculating here having never made uh 16 million dollars a year um but the the fact being that that beal makes 22 and is the max player when the weight of the team is truly actually on on wall's shoulders it's an interesting dichotomy yeah well that's why you pay scott brooks that's, uh, that's what he's supposed to be good <laughs> yes. at. i mean yes, that's why yes. you give him this five-year deal just one last thing i want to build on what lindy was saying about sort of how the team is not necessarily built the best spacing around wall one thing I, I think is sort of a challenge that they that they need to overcome with respect to Wall and Beal. It should be noted, first of all, the team when Wall and Beal is on the court together is very good. Maybe Beal feels a little marginalized if that's how he feels. I don't know. But the team is much better with them together than separated. So hopefully, first of all, they that they don't lose sight of that. Second of all, I think one thing that happens a lot is that Wall is – has the ball so much and for good reason because he's such a good playmaker and pick and roll player and passer and I think he was one of the league leaders in time possession so they don't really do I think a great job of exploring some of the secondary playmaking that other players in the team can provide because they kind of have that wall security blanket 
You know, I think with Beal, you've seen this when when Wall is out, especially in the playoffs a couple years ago. Beal can play pick and roll too. You know, he maybe takes a few too many mid range shots. He doesn't take as many enough free throws. Fine, he's not a lead ball handler, but there's I think a little more to suss out there. I think there's also a little more to suss out with Otto Porter, maybe even with Markeith Morris. But because Kelly Oubre, you can play this year. Yeah, maybe Kelly Oubre too. I I think he's more of a spot up guy if he plays, but. Because, he should be part of the spacing game for sure. Right. But because Wall is just well, – you just spread the floor and let him go to work, he can be so good. It's just so tempting to kind of over-rely on him, I think. And Wall's got to do a little bit of a better job, I think, of playing a little off the ball. He did made some nice strides with his three-point shot. And he needs to get better at cutting and he needs to get better at moving so that when he passes the ball up, he can come and get it back later on and he can be in a better position. So mm-hmm. – you know, I think that's something that maybe could add to some of the tension that the two players feel, and we'll see how it gets managed. But you know, I think you guys are right that maybe more time together should help it. Yeah, I, I'm actually working on something on um, on Wall's off the ball play right now. Um, mm-hmm. It it's not there's not a huge sample to work with, but he's also not very good at it, <laughs> um, which is which is also what I think has, has been problematic for the the combination of Wall and Beal. I think, like you said, Mike, Brad can play in the pick and roll a little bit. He can handle the ball, and he's a really good three-point shooter when he wants to take the shots. But at the same time, the Wall's man can help off of him. He can help off of him in the lane and block the paint. And it's really hard for Beal to get into the lane if there are – you know, two or three defenders in the paint at one time. So I can understand why, you know, Bill may feel a bit marginalized when Wall has the ball all the time and he's just standing in the corner. Um, but, you know, like I was saying, Wall, Wall isn't that good off of the ball right now. <laughs> and that's something that I'm hoping that he works on. Um, this offseason. If he does work on it, I'm, I think it'll take his offensive game to an entirely different level. <laughs> That's a good wrap on that. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Looking forward to reading what you put out there. And obviously, I think kind of could tie a bow on this. We'll, we'll hopefully uh, be able to link to this if we can time out appropri- appropriately. Um, let's see. A couple questions from fans. Um, let's shoot one over to you, Lindy. Uh, do the Wiz look to deal Gortat since they are so stacked at center? And Wall insists, and this guy agrees, they need a wing. This is from, let me just get the credit real quick. This is from Jonathan Robinson on Twitter. Yeah, so I agree that they need a wing. Um, I actually don't think they will look to deal Gortat, and I don't necessarily think they should. This is the first time in a few years that I've sort of haven't felt worried about the Wizards center rotation. Um, But they do have that option to, to trade him if, you know, a good deal presents itself at some point. Um, But I I think that they kind of missed on getting a wing in free agency. I think that's when they needed to do that. I don't know that there are that many on the market um, that they could really trade for. There aren't that many teams that need a center and have a wing. Um, And again, like right now the center rotation is really strong. Uh, Yes. Maybe it's a little weird to essentially have two starting caliber centers. You know, I don't know quite how the minutes get divided up since they can't play together, but at the same time, I'm not going to feel worried when Gortat goes to sit down, and that's a new feeling, and that's nice. Yeah, I agree. They're not. I don't see them trading him. The problem, like you said, is that everybody wants to trade a center, and everybody wants a three-four kind of hybrid player, and so there just aren't many partners. And I think, like you said, it, Mahimi also as as 
good as he was defensively last year, he had foul trouble. So I think it actually sort of, price aside, it may make sense for him to stay in a reserve role, and then they kind of pick and choose who closes. Next question, this is from the same same person. Um, this one is it's actually someone that's fairly interesting to me. Uh, what evidence can you all see this year that the Wizards are going to do something differently to address Bradley Beal's stress injuries and really health in general? I, I think it's an interesting question uh, because they did fire the head trainer, did they not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was um, probably that was probably the first step uh, for them. I'm not sure outside of that, like what, what strategies they were using um, before. But uh, apparently they didn't focus as much on um, prevention as they did recovery. Um, prior to um, firing Eric Waters, I think his name was. Correct yes, me if I'm wrong. Eric Waters. Um, so, I mean, that that in itself is is a really big thing. Um, as far as what they're going to do with Bill, uh, apparently Bill has switched up his training program this offseason. I'm not sure what it was before, but apparently he feels like this will help. Um, and... Last season, he talked about how he may need to play on a minutes limit, which isn't what you want to hear about your 23-year-old shooting guard already, but um, <laughs> that would help too. So, I mean, if they do some of that stuff, you know, it, he may avoid another stress injury this year, but I don't know, man. I, I'm just not confident in it. I'm not a doctor, but we do speculate on medical things wildly on this podcast, so I'm going to go for it. Um this feels like just like a runner who's been told by the doctors, like, yo, if you keep running, you're going to get stress fractures in your feet it, or your legs or, or wherever it may be where you get your stress fractures or wherever your, you know, your point is. And basketball is not only a lot of running, but if you're someone whose body is not, I don't know, physiologically able to do it, certain times this just gets to a point where, especially with stress injuries, that's just not the sport for you. I feel really bad for people like myself who have bad backs and I just know I can't do it. But in the legs specifically, you see this so often in runners um, and big men. <laughs> Except for Joel Embiid, we'll see. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. Well, we, we learned that podcasting was our true calling once our backs gave out. So, um, so non-contact. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a question at you, Prada, from, uh, from, from a, who we got here. Scott Ballin asks, uh, and Mike, I know you brought this up earlier, so, so Prada, why don't you go for this? Yeah. Do you think Markeith at the five lineups, I'm sorry, Markeith at the five lineups will get run uh, and work? Is no. there a big move to see the Wiz making after that KD whiff? Oh, boy. Um, Two-parter. To answer the first question, no. They're too crowded in the front court. Uh, I think they will use – actually, what you might see a little bit is that against bigger wings, you might see Marquise guarding those guys instead of Otto Porter, which is sort of going the other way. They're, I think they like having the 48 minutes of uh, center play. I think Andrew Mickelson needs some time. So I, I don't see Keith playing the five unless there are big injuries. Uh, as far as the big move, I, I mean, this is the thing about their summer is that they're kind of locked in. This is their team for the next couple years, you know. Yeah. Like that's sort of where the real kind of – where I, I don't want to use the word disaster, but that's sort of where the real problem of building to this one offseason kind of manifests itself is that Wall's got three years left on his deal and they cannot, they don't have the cap flexibility to give him a negotiation extension at this point. Mm-hmm. So, and they don't really have any more capability of entering the free agent market and they don't have like a ton of spare draft picks. So, 
And they signed guys to long-term deals. I mean, Andrew Nicholson and Mahimi are on four-year deals. So other than nibbling around the edges, this is the team you get. So that's why I think there are a lot of Wizards fans who are really frustrated right now. Because they just don't like – it's like having a dynasty fantasy team and you're like, damn, got right. crappy players for the next three seasons. <laughs> I think a lot of people outside the market are surprised at how kind of morbid, you know, morbid some of the fan base is. And I, I think – this has something to do with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the fortunes now, really what you're looking at is Wall has got to be a superstar caliber player, top 15. Beal's got to make a leap to all-star. That's how they make the next step. So I don't see a big move coming after this. Yeah, just to build on that a little, I mean, I feel like what the fan base is kind of going through is, you know, like two years ago, like, you know, we had this, like, young backcourt on the rise and we didn't really know how good they were going to be and now I kind of feel like we know probably how good they're going to be so the sky isn't the limit anymore and as you say this is this is the team that we've got for the next four or so years and you know it doesn't quite feel like best backcourt in the NBA is as realistic as it did a couple years ago. Yeah, there was a lot of talk of, you know, who's the top backcourt in the NBA? Is it Golden State or Washington? And the ESPN was trying to make that something, the East Coast, West Coast backcourts. And, and who knows? Maybe maybe this is just the most pessimistic side of what could actually be a healthy, incredible, they both played 75-plus games this year. Actually, Beal plays a controlled, really nice 68, and they make the playoffs. Um, oh, but did you uh, come up with 68? I'm just thinking maybe he takes, like, maybe a week off. I think the concentrated time off for guys like this is going to become a more frequent thing. Um, like oh, LeBron yeah. did. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, so maybe he misses like five, six games in one chunk. Yeah, that's where I get my 68 games from, right there. Um, or he but, plays like maybe five out of every, and then he rests. Yeah, yeah b- because I, I like you got to be smart with this. I fully expect, I've already hedged my, my viewing experiences here for the Sixers on, I know Embiid's going to have a week where they probably, either he plays a game or doesn't play, or a couple weeks like that. Like I, I'm under... The understanding now that we are getting smarter, at least on how to the prevention mechanisms, how do we make it so that this body gets healed properly? Because everybody's body now is so specific and the science behind it is so much better. They shouldn't have the same mistakes. They should be able to regulate this better, um, assuming the person's body can play the sport. And that's the Beal question for the stress fractures. Um, that's the Embiid foot question. You know, these, are, these are other variables that are independent on the, on the people. But I want to get to the final predictions. Um, this is where we get to decide... Uh, and we get you on the record, uh, which is beautiful, uh, which is great here because Ikeda yeah, is on a, my podcast. Yeah, we have uh, a little montage we play at the end of all the failed predictions. Yeah, that, it's yeah. great. And, and Lindy and Mike, don't worry. We we actually, Mike and I have a whole spreadsheet for a couple of years now of our preseason predictions, and they are they're not, they're not great uh, each year. So, <laughs> so there's a that. Low bar to clear. Low bar to clear, exactly. So uh, let's see. Uh, Mike, you take it first, then Lindy, and then Prada, you top it off with uh, where you think this team goes this year record-wise. They were a 500-ball club last year. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that I've given 50 different predictions on the Wizards <laughs> for next year because I really have no idea okay. um, how good they're going to be. But I I think they'll probably be somewhere around 42 to 45 wins, I think. Um, which may be good enough to get them a lower playoff seed. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they got into the top five, but not over three. Um, But I don't have that much confidence in them. I I think their their defense (laughs) is going to be 
what puts them in the playoffs. And I, I think John Wall will, will probably be just about as good as he was last year. And I think he was good enough for them to to be a potential playoff team last year because um, yep. they were right on the edge. So if the defense goes back to what it was um, the year prior, then I think um, they'll, they'll probably be around that, that 42 to 45 win range. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think 43 was the number I kind of had in my head. You know, it's not just a marginal improvement from last year's record, but I think that's what some help and maybe – getting back to being a good defensive team will get you. So if you have 43, 44, seventh or eighth seed, hopefully some luck in the first round. Maybe, Maybe catch Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> yeah, we had the same thought. That's great. <laughs> what the whole Wizards fan base is thinking, like, maybe catch Toronto. I don't know. I don't know. That that uh, epiphany reminds me of the time that the Wizards swept the Raptors in the playoffs. <laughs> you mean you forgot? <laughs> Isn't that the meme? The uh, the play on yeah. the Warriors meme that, that yeah. started? <laughs> yes, yes. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I think you guys are right in the nose. We're looking at low 40s, low playoff seed. There is some low-hanging fruit that they should be able to clear, which is just being ready to play and maybe not being the worst offensive rebounding team in the league in the first half of the year and some of this other stuff, uh, just having a four (laughs) at all. I mean, there's some (laughs) low-hanging fruit that they can kind of clear, I think. But to me, the the big key to the season is just how good is Wall going to be. If he's going to be... I think two years ago he was very almost underrated. I don't think a lot of people appreciated how good he was two years ago during the regular season and especially during the playoffs because he suffered that wrist injury. Uh, he was, I think, one of the five, four or five best point guards in the league, one of the 15 best players. I, you know, I thought he was better than Kyrie, better than Lillard. Last year he slipped below those guys. I just don't think his effort was uh, consistent. Um, and... If he can get back to the level he was at two years ago, I think that this team can overachieve. Uh, if he is a little closer to what he was last year, I think it's a very distinct possibility they don't make the playoffs in this mess. So that's how I see it. I disagree a little bit. I actually think I'm, I'm kind of more focused on how Beal is and how good he is. You know, I, I think you know, I think we kind of know what we're going to get from Wall with the kind of asterisk that you know he's coming off of these surgeries, but. We've seen this team when Wall is playing really well and trying to sort of like carry the entire team on his shoulders. And, you know, he can get them into the into that kind of low 40s. But I don't know that he can get them that much further than that. I think that the real wild card here is how healthy does Bradley Beal stay? And does he finally sort of become an all-star caliber player? Or does he kind of continue to hang out at this sub-all-star level that he's been at? I can dig it. Yeah, yeah I, feel, I feel like I agree in, in some sort there too because he is the key variable it seems to inevitably not be on the court as opposed to being the variable playing uh, in the games. Um, I'll I'll say this, guys. Last year, they had a weird record where they were good enough to make the playoffs for sure against the Eastern Conference. They were 30 and 22. Uh, To put some perspective there, Miami was 31 and 21. Uh, Hawks were 29 and 23. Um, So you get where I'm going with this. They were as good as anyone in conference, which means that they struggled mightily against the West. I feel like that's something, I'm not sure where that lined up. If they had a big Western conference swing during some injuries, that could obviously uh, count towards that as well. But I always find those stats interesting because you do see like the feasting on the conference teams in every sport generally make the playoffs. It goes for baseball, hockey, you name it, football, especially with the weighted schedule and basketball. Um, But I, I was just kind of, Wondering where you guys shook on that, if there's kind of a weird part where they're actually fine against Eastern Conference, and maybe 
they should be in the 46, 47 wins, uh, you know, again. Um, and, and maybe that's not necessarily something where you have to worry about those those eight, seven seeds and maybe dabbling with Cleveland in the first round. I'm going to give them 46 wins this year wow. and the fifth wow. and the fifth fifth seed uh, in the East because I am the eternal optimist Wizards fan on this podcast. Wow. And Mike, I like a fan. <laughs> I like the is Wizards. This, guys. Is this the first? Yeah, let's go. Is this the first episode where the fans have uh, gone lower than the host? Yeah, it probably is. It probably is. Um, wow. But I always go high on the Wizards, and they they helped me two years ago, and they hurt me last year, and, and I'm, I'm riding them again this year because I'm not <laughs> sure there's that much difference between a healthy Wizards team and any of the teams who finished seven, eight. Uh, eight, seven, and six being uh, Detroit, Indiana, and Charlotte specifically. I think that the Heat I are going to take a step back. The Hawks take a step back. So there's a fight there. All those teams throw the Knicks uh, and the Bulls in that mix too. There is not much difference between any of those teams, and that's why the Eastern Conference is going to be a slugfest. Kind of like two overweight heavyweights, way out of their prime, all kind of laying on each other and a lot of dirty boxing. Oh, that's that going to be Eastern very Conference. Very exciting. Season. I can't wait. Right, with like Mike Tyson at the top in his prime, just kind of <laughs> hanging out there uh, in Cleveland. Um, but uh, is there any other points that we are missing here as we wrap this up? Uh, Lindy, Mike, go feel free to jump in. If there's anything we're missing, anything you're working on right now on um, Bullets Forever, we should know about Floorsiers. Um, I, I just wanted to add really quickly that um, sure. I think Otto Porter is, is probably going to be a really underrated aspect to how good they are this season. He's playing for a, a contract extension and the whole contract year thing comes into play, I think, uh-huh. with him. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they get a little bump from him and that gets them into that that fifth seed range that you that you, uh, you're talking yeah. about so. yeah we're all feeling it. i can feel the the, the <laughs> overall presence of that expectation that is put on this podcast everyone's like yeah maybe they could maybe we could be uh we see i did the we already guys wow this is so- <laughs> wow unbelievable but isn't, isn't this isn't this the entire wizard's history though just a, a bunch of maybe and and, and failed expectations <laughs> Yeah, I bet I bet we're all going to be really optimistic about them in like December, and then like totally down in the dumps again in like January. I feel like that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's usually the formula. So yeah, I, I think that's pretty accurate. I we'll expect. do this again in January then. <laughs> well, listen, thank you guys for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm very surprised by how this the predictions turned out, but I am hoping Ben is right. Uh, Forty six wins, by the way, would be tied for the best Wizards record in the last. Uh, 89, 99, 38 years, 37 years. So uh, I hope so that in the history of the wizards. <laughs> yes. Wizards, yes. So that'd be great. But listen, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, Lindy Wood and, and Mike Sykes, you check them out at Bolts Forever, which is chugging along just great uh, as we get into the season. I'm really proud of what you guys have been built, have been building there. Uh, do check you guys out. And uh, thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. And viewership coming up next. I believe we have the Chicago Bulls. Who's after the Bulls, Mike? Uh, it'll be Houston. Houston. Cool. So if you are in the Chicago fandom. Last lottery team coming up. Oh, that's right. Houston will be our first playoff team from the previous year. Cool. We are we are in a different realm of basketball now. Uh, moving forward, I'm going to make everyone answer, uh, is your team closer to the Sixers or the Cavs or the Sixers or the uh, Warriors? Because I want to find out where people think the trajectory of their team is going. And we will get there. We will get there. Here's the thing about that question. I think everybody is closer to the Sixers than the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> true. That's true. It's an unfair scale. But... Uh, but soon, soon we will all be uh, ruining the day they made fun of the Sixers. But until next time, the Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah.